Nietzsche, the famous anti-Christian philosopher, was scathing of atheists. It is unarguable, he said, that when you give up the Christian faith, you lose Christian morality. Morality doesn't survive when the God who sanctions it is missing. He said it was an insane delusion that men and women have inherent rights. It's not from reason that the doctrine of human dignity comes, but rather from the very faith that the atheists have banished. Atheists have no morality. All they are left with is Darwin's law of the jungle, the survival of the fittest, and that saw the enormous butchery of the 20th century and the hatred that is being imagined by the atheist today towards everyone. I'm Paul, and this is CYKIAE. When you look at something on the internet today, you've just got to wonder. So much rubbish there. So many lies dressed up as the truth. For me, the good posts are the ones that are obviously wrong and funny. Like the quote attributed to US President Abraham Lincoln, who lived in the 1800s, before there was electricity and before there was an internet. The meme on Facebook quoted him as saying, you can't believe everything you read on Facebook. So, when your 10 closest friends tell you something that just isn't possible, but which they say they'd seen with their own eyes, do you believe them? And can you still be friends with someone that you've just seriously failed in their hour of greatest need? I'm Paul, and let's find out in this CYKIAE. Thomas was a cynical man, a practical man. In the book of John, there are a couple of times where these qualities come out. First, not long before Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem, Jesus, then a long way away from Jerusalem, received an urgent message for help from the sisters of Lazarus, a close friend of Jesus, that he was dying. What did Jesus do? Leap into action? Head off to his desperate dying friend who needed his help? No. He stayed where he was. He let Lazarus die. And he let him have enough time dead so that it would be widely known that he was dead and buried. When Jesus raised him from the dead, there could be no dispute that he had been dead. So finally, a few days after Jesus had received the desperate and urgent call for help from Lazarus's sisters, he set out to go to them. Thomas thought that Jesus had gone mad. Just a short time before, the Jewish leadership had wanted Jesus stoned, which was illegal. They had no power to legally take a man's life, but they were furious over Jesus's challenge to their authority. They wanted him dead, and they made that known. In John eleven fourteen to 16 it reads, Then said Jesus unto them, the disciples, Plainly, Lazarus is dead, and I am glad for your sakes that I was not there, to the intent 
that ye may believe. Nevertheless, let us go unto him. Then said Thomas, which is called Didymus, unto his fellow disciples, with searing cynicism, Oh yes, let us also go that we may die with him at the hands of the Jewish leadership. When Jesus entered Jerusalem triumphantly, not many days later, he was under no illusions that the Jewish leadership were going to kill him. Thomas hadn't misread the mood of the Jewish leadership back in Jerusalem, and now Jesus wanted to head back there to be with Lazarus. When Jesus and the disciples had returned to Jerusalem for the triumphal entry, Jesus shared what he knew at his last supper with his disciples. He spoke to his disciples of things to come. And although Jesus had been telling his disciples from the very beginning that he was going to die and be resurrected, none of the male disciples seems to have ever gotten that message. The women seem to have been closer to understanding it, like when Mary, the sister of Lazarus, washed his feet with an oil that was commonly used for the dead, preparation of a body for entombment. The enemies of Jesus had well and truly got the message that Jesus was at least promising to rise from the dead. That was why on the day after he was crucified, they wanted Pontius Pilate to put a guard on the tomb. They didn't believe that he was actually going to rise from the dead, but they thought an attempt would be made to make it look as if he had by stealing the body from the tomb. At the Last Supper, Jesus told his disciples that he was returning to heaven, but would come again for them. So in John 14, 1-4 it says, Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there ye may be also. And whither I go, ye know, and the way ye know. They just didn't get it. Thomas spoke for them all at John 14.5 when he said, Thomas saith unto him, Lord, we know not whither thou goest, and how can we know the way? So when Jesus visited his disciples on the first day of the resurrection, after travelling with Cleopas and his companion, unrecognised by them until the very end, the last moment, when he sat down to eat with them, and he broke the bread, and they saw the wombs on his wrists and his hands. And that same night Jesus appeared in the midst of the sealed room with the disciples, minus Thomas, plus Cleopas and his companion from the road, were hiding in fear of their lives from the Jewish leadership. The story of what happened when the disciples told the absent Thomas of seeing the living Jesus is set out in John twenty twenty four to 25 But Thomas, one of the twelve, called Didymus, was not with them when Jesus came. The other disciples therefore said unto him, We have seen the Lord. But he said unto them, Except I shall see in his hands the print of the nails, and put my finger 
into the print of the nails and thrust my hand into his side, I will not believe. Now, I don't think Thomas's doubts can be used to criticise him much. I mean, after all, the other disciples had by then seen Jesus in the flesh. When he appeared to them, they were hiding because they didn't understand or believe that Jesus would be resurrected from the dead. This even though they'd seen the days old body of Lazarus, which his sister had warned Jesus stank from decay, having already begun, brought back to life by Jesus. So resurrection wasn't outside what they knew Jesus could do, at least for others. And Lazarus wasn't the first man that Jesus had raised from the dead. But a God of the many dimensions that science now recognises, as were revealed in chapter 1 of Genesis, and only recently acknowledged by science, meant that Thomas was going to be confronted by his own careless words to the disciples when they told him about Jesus' return from the dead. I'm sure you've said things that have come back to haunt you. I sure have. It took another eight days, but then Thomas had his own meeting with Jesus, where Jesus gave him the proof that he wanted of Jesus' resurrection. And that's told in John 20, 26-29. And after eight days again, his disciples were within, and Thomas with them. Then came Jesus, the doors being shut, and stood in the midst, and said, Peace be unto you. Then saith he to Thomas, Reach hither thy finger, and behold my hands, and reach hither thy hand, and thrust it into my side, and be not faithless, but believing. And Thomas answered and said unto him, My Lord and my God. Jesus saith unto him, Thomas, because thou hast seen me, thou hast believed. Blessed are they that have not seen, and yet have believed. When the women discovered the angel in the tomb where Jesus' body had been laid, the angel said to them in Mark sixteen seven, But go your way, tell the disciples and Peter that he goeth before you into Galilee. There shall ye see him, as he said unto you. Now this was an important message. It told the disciples, where to go to meet up with the risen Jesus. But it also separated Simon Peter out as not being counted by Jesus as one of the disciples any longer. He'd failed Jesus. He'd failed him three times after his arrest by denying that he was a disciple, by denying that he knew Jesus Christ. Could Peter still redeem himself? Of the twelve disciples, all but Judas had come from Galilee. A dark cloud now hovered over the head of Simon Peter. He was invited to the meeting with Jesus at Galilee, but he was no longer numbered among Jesus' closest followers, the disciples. Six of the disciples and Peter went down to Galilee for the meeting with Jesus. To fill in time while they were waiting, some of the disciples decided to go fishing. They were fishermen after all, and they had fishing boats down there. The events of the last couple of weeks 
had been traumatic. From the resurrection of Lazarus, the triumphal entry into Jerusalem, the shocking arrest and trial of Jesus, his even more shocking execution, and now his resurrection. But after his resurrection, Jesus was no longer living on earth. He spent most of his time in heaven, his movement through hyperspace, the different dimensions that we're told exist but can't perceive, meant that no one knew when or where Jesus was going to appear next. Going fishing's always been a good way to get relief from the stresses of life. Some things don't change no matter how much time passes. So John 21, 2-3 tells us, There were together Simon Peter and Thomas, called Didymus, and Nathanael of Cana in Galilee, and the sons of Zebedee, which is to say James and John, and two other of his disciples, and they're not named. Simon Peter saith unto them, I go a-fishing. And they say unto him, We also go with thee. They went forth and entered into a ship immediately, and that night they caught nothing. Zip. Nada. So the disciples went off fishing, but caught nothing. Bum-er. Does going fishing and catching nothing relieve tension? Is it just the fact of fishing that helps with that, or is catching fish important too? I don't fish, so I don't really know what turns a fisherman on. I suspect not catching fish is probably a big turn-off. In the early morning, on the shore, a long way distant from them, they saw a man. The distance and some early morning mist made it hard to identify him. There's also the issue of Jesus' disfigurement from the scourging he received before his crucifixion, which had radically changed his appearance. So this encounter took place between them and this stranger on the shore, as is told in John 21, 5-6. Then Jesus saith unto them, Children, a term sometimes used by an older fisherman to younger fisherman, and clearly a term of endearment, have ye any meat? Now in the King James Version of the Bible, meat means meat or fish. And they answered him, No. And he said unto them, Cast the net on the right side of the ship, and ye shall find. Now, if you were one of the disciples who'd been out fishing all night, when the fish should have been biting, this piece of advice to put the nets on the other side of the boat in the morning when the fish weren't biting probably sounded stupid. It should have. But for some reason, they did as the stranger suggested. They cast, therefore, and now they were not able to draw it for the multitude of fishes. Remember, the net is so full of fish that even all of the men on board can't pull it onto the ship. That was some haul, but remember this because it's relevant in a moment. John was the first to realise that the man on the shore was Jesus. John 21.7 says, Therefore that disciple whom Jesus loved, and this means John, saith unto Peter, It is the Lord. Now when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he girt his fisher's coat under him, for he was naked. And that's not really quite 
how he was, not naked, just stripped down for working on the fishing boat. So he wrapped his other clothing around him so that he could be decently dressed when he met with Jesus and did cast himself into the sea. He dived overboard and swam to Jesus. Peter was always the most enthusiastic disciple, never holding back. The other disciples headed back to the shore by more conventional means of a small boat. So in John 21.8 we're told, And the other disciples came in a little ship, for they were not far from land. But as it were 200 cubits, which is just over 90 metres, dragging the net with fishes. I said in an earlier program that after his resurrection, Jesus seems to have had a good appetite and was pretty well always eating whenever he appeared, and this was no exception. Jesus had cooked their breakfast for them. Say, how special is that? In John 21.9 it says, As soon as they were come to land, they saw a fire of coals there, and fish laid thereon and bread. Jesus told them to bring in their catch. And something remarkable happened now. In John 21, 10-11, we're told, Jesus saith unto them, Bring of the fish which ye have now caught. And Simon Peter went up and drew the net to land, full of great fishes, and hundred and fifty and three. And for all there were so many, yet was not the net broken. That haul of fish that all of them together, all of the disciples together pulling when they were out on the boat on the sea couldn't land a few minutes before was now pulled onto the shore single-handedly by Simon Peter, clearly the power of God. Jesus saith unto them, come and dine. And none of the disciples durst ask him, who art thou? knowing that it was the Lord. Now that's curious, isn't it? They can't recognize him, but they know it's Jesus. Because of what had happened to Jesus during the scourging, as the Old Testament prophet Isaiah tells in Isaiah 56, that Jesus gave his back to the smiters, the Roman soldiers who were scourging him, and his cheeks to them that plucked off the hair. That means that they ripped the hair from Jesus' face, his beard. It hideously disfigured him. He hid not his face from and his cheeks to them that plucked off the hair. He hid not his face from shame and spitting. In Isaiah 52.14, translated from the original Greek, it tells us exactly what Jesus looked like after the scourging. Because the King James Version of the Bible in the New Testament, like Mel Gibson and his movie The Passion, toned down what Jesus looked like after the Roman soldiers had finished with him. So marred from the former man was his aspect that his appearance was not that of the Son of Man. What what he's saying is you couldn't even recognize that Jesus was human. I mean, these... Roman soldiers are brutal men. They sign up for 20 years in the Roman army. They serve all over the empire and they fight in vicious, savage, hand-to-hand combat, killing someone that you're looking at. Pretty brutal stuff. So ripping Jesus' beard off was no big deal. Just a bit of fun, really. 
So now the disciples are uncomfortable around this disfigured Jesus, probably find it hard to look at him. But after breakfast, Jesus was going to confront Simon Peter about his denial of him on the night of Jesus' arrest. Simon Peter was the first follower of Jesus. His name was Simon, but Jesus gave him the name of Peter to be used to show that he was a disciple and the name that Jesus called him by. When the angel told the women to tell the disciples and Peter that Jesus had risen, Peter was clearly no longer counted as a disciple. So on the shores of Galilee that early morning, Jesus tested Peter over his three denials of Jesus. Three times Jesus asked if Peter loved him. Since in Christianity our destinies aren't fixed, we always have choices. Judas could have changed his mind and not betrayed Jesus, but he didn't. John's account of this exchange between Jesus and Peter was probably written about 30 years after Peter had died a martyr in Rome. He was crucified upside down in the Colosseum after he told the Romans that he was not worthy of dying by crucifixion like Jesus had. The Romans had a evil sense of humour and they felt that they could accommodate Peter's request and have him die in a different way. The first exchange between Jesus and Peter is at John 21.15. So when they had dined, Jesus saith to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me more than these? And Jesus was referring to the other disciples. He, he, that's Peter, saith unto him, Yea, Lord, thou knowest that I love thee. Jesus said unto him, Feed my lambs, meaning that Jesus was charging him with spreading the message of Jesus and looking after his followers. The word lambs perhaps means the new people that will be converted to Christianity by Peter. As I said before, Simon Peter had become a disciple of Jesus and his name was originally Simon. So here, Jesus called him by his original name, Simon, and not the name Jesus gave him when he became a follower. And that's important. Jesus did not consider Peter to still be a disciple at this time. Just as Peter had denied Jesus three times on the night that he'd been tried, now Jesus asked Peter again if he loved him at John 21.16. He saith to him again the second time, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me? And Peter saith unto him, Yea, Lord, thou knowest that I love thee. Jesus said to him, Feed my sheep. Again, Jesus uses his original name, Simon. This time he refers to Peter being charged with looking after his sheep, perhaps a reference to those people who had already become Christians a sheep being older than a lamb. And just as Peter denied Jesus three times on the night of Jesus' arrest, Jesus very pointedly asked Peter the third time if he loved him in John 21.17. Jesus saith unto him the third time, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me? Again, he called him by his original name, Simon, not Peter. 
Peter was grieved because he said unto him the third time, Lovest thou me? And Peter said unto him, Lord, thou knowest all things, thou knowest that I love thee. Jesus saith unto him, Feed my sheep. Jesus then told Peter that he was going to die a martyr for Jesus, a chilling foretelling of his death in 64 AD in Rome. In John 21:18-19, Jesus said to Peter, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, When thou wast young, thou girdest thyself, and walkest whither thou wouldst. But when thou shalt be old, thou shalt stretch forth thy hands, and another shall gird thee, and carry thee whither thou wouldst not. That is, to his execution. This spake he, signifying by what death he should glorify God. And when he had spoken this, he saith unto him, Follow me. So Peter is back again. He's now been restored as a disciple. Three denials and three professions of love. So even today, the followers of Jesus, a man who preached peace, love and forgiveness, the most forgiving and gentle of all religions continue to be persecuted all around, very frequently to their deaths because of their Christian faith. John was nearby and Peter asked Jesus what John's fate would be. Jesus bluntly answered at John twenty-one twenty to 21 Then Peter, turning about, seeth the disciple whom Jesus loved, that's John, following which also leaned on his breast at supper and said, Lord, which is he that betrayeth thee? Referring back to the last supper, when after Jesus had said that one of his disciples would betray him, John asked in that manner, Who? Peter, seeing him, saith to Jesus, Lord, and what shall this man do? Jesus saith unto him, If I will that he tarry till I come, What is that to thee? Follow thou me. Jesus' reply is that this was not his concern. If you remember back at the cross, Jesus appointed John to be the carer of his mother. Jesus knew that of all the disciples, only John would live to die of old age. Now all that remained was for Jesus to put the Holy Spirit into his disciples told them what they were charged to do to spread Christianity and then return to heaven until his wonderful and terrible return at the end times. In the next program, I'll finish the story of Jesus' return to heaven, the ascension. Thanks for listening into this program, CYKIAE. If you missed it, you can catch up with it as a podcast on my CYKIAE, Spotify, Apple, Google and many other podcast sites. Just look at my program details on Cairns FM 89.1 for clickable links. I'm Paul. Don't miss my next program because you're going to love it. I want to thank my ghostwriter, without whom this program would definitely not have been possible, the Holy Spirit. Maybe you could catch up with me at my church, the Gafcon Northern Hope Anglican Church at the Cairns and District Junior Estedford Hall, 67 Greenslopes Street, Edge Hill, some Sunday at 9am. If you liked this program, you should 
definitely listening to my other explosive program, The Danger Zone, also available as a podcast on those same sites. Search Danger Zone, bracket, DZ, close brackets. <laughs>